Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. All right, so First and Second Peter. Second Peter is where we're going to be at today. And there's the, between these two uh, these two letters. If you was to read them, uh, these were penned by Peter. There was some question. It was a lot of fight, I should say, when they were trying to authenticate Second Peter, which to me is kind of crazy because there's plenty of evidence in there that, <clears throat> to me, uh, would be hard for people to be able to, you know, him even mentioning that. Uh, uh, that his life on this earth was going to be taken from him and him mentioning that Jesus told him that. Well, when did he tell him that? The end of the gospel according to John, where Jesus was feeding them on the on the lakeside. And and he talked about John, and, and Peter said, well, what about him? You know, he told Peter what, what kind of death he was going to die. That When he got old, people would lead him where he didn't want to go, uh, to a place uh, to do to him what he didn't want to happen to him. And Jesus was like, what about John? What about him? I mean, uh, Peter said, what about John? What about him? And Jesus basically, paraphrasing, said, don't you worry about John. If he stays here until I come back the next time, what's that to you? Your responsibility. So, I mean, he alludes to that in First and Second Peter. And uh, the fact is, these were written during times that the church was being heavily persecuted. It was not only being persecuted physically, but it was also being persecuted spiritually. The book of 1 Peter addresses a physical persecution of the church at the time. 2 Peter addresses the, the, uh, the spiritual persecution at the time. And the spiritual persecution the individuals went through, <clears throat> Peter has a pretty good handle in this first chapter. We might only make it through the first 11 verses, if I get to read in a little bit. Um, make it through the first 11 verses, which all go together, and they make one basic simple point. Don't stop growing. Watch for the traps watch for the traps because satan is a sly character and he'll do anything that he can to try to break the line in your growth somewhere to prevent that nourishment from getting to you now this doesn't mean that we as individuals don't get taught right it just changes who we're being taught by do you really think that there isn't one choice that you make in life that doesn't glorify one of two things Everything in life glorifies one of two things. To do one is to reject the other. And to do the other is to reject the one. You get what I'm saying? Is there more than good and evil powers in this world? That's it. Good and evil. And if you choose to not do something good, what's the result? Evil. If you choose to do something evil, what's the result? You see, a lot of, a lot of people don't realize, and I've said before how important discipleship is in the growth of a believer, and it needs to start at childhood. Kids need to be confronted with this stuff. It needs to be accessible to them at a very young age. Because we're going to see him address what God has done for us and what we are capable of in the midst of what he's done for us. Because the church was being 
pummeled by false prophets and false teachers. And he addresses this farther into the letter. I don't think we'll get to it th- this morning. But he addresses it further in the, in the letter where he actually separates the two. He talks about false prophets and false teachers. What's the difference between a false prophet and a false teacher? A false prophet speaks to large numbers of people. A false teacher is relational. So if I stand here today and I speak an unmistakable truth by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, then I'm standing up here prophesying. It's a truth by definition. When does, a, when does an individual prophesying, though, become... real enough for listeners to grab a hold of it and research it themselves. Have I ever asked anybody in here just to accept it because I said it? Nor would I. I mean, yeah, if you come to me and you ask me a yes or no question or you ask me a question that has something to do with with something else in life, the truth is you come ask a question, you're going to get the truth. Now, how, how easy is the truth always to accept? It's not. So let's say, that, let's say that life is a fishing line. And anywhere along the path, that fishing line can be cut. How careful are you to make sure that you don't cut the fishing line? Because if you cut the fishing line, guess what's going to happen to your plans? Your future. Now, in the Christian life, though, if we if if our Christian life is this strand, how far are we willing to go to protect and make sure that that fishing line doesn't get cut? Because the kicker is this: you cut that fishing line, it may not have an effect on me at all, but it's going to affect somebody, right? Has anybody who's a Christian done anything for you today? Because if they have, guess what that is? It's affirmation. I'm getting into a touchy subject. I understand that. But read with me so we can try to ease in and settle into where I'm headed here. Second Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge, if you've got a pen or a pencil, you might want to mark that, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Before I get into this, and he's going to expound on this a little bit, but he comes right out of the chute in verse 2. Look at verse 2 again, what he says. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, the knowledge of God... And Jesus our Lord, these things are the things that he refers to in the verses below. Okay? He says, by these, that's what he's talking about. All right? The grace, what he mentioned in verse 2, the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Knowledge of God, Jesus our Lord. Remember those two things. Seeing this, his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, 
in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. By these, God has granted you power. What power is he talking about? You've heard me say this many times before. If you don't know this Greek word, you're going to before it's all over with. The word dunamis. Dunamis is the word power in the Greek. And you know, where, you know what English word we get from the word dunamis? Dynamite. Could you imagine what somebody around 35 to 75 AD would have thought if somebody brought a stick of dynamite, stuck it in the ground, lit it, and walked away? What would somebody think about the explosion? Is there any other power on earth at that time that could have even imagined to express itself that way? This is the power it's talking about. That's what that Greek word is talking about, dunamis. The, the most massive power that you could ever imagine that goes even farther beyond than, any, than anything that you could imagine. But it, he said again, by these, for by these he has granted to us, us uh, precious and magnificent promises. By these, by what again? The knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to ask you something. If everything seems to be tied to knowledge, how, how important is it that we learn? Very important. Do you know why people out there are being told that there are all kinds of things in life that they can't do and all kinds of things in life that they have to do and all kinds of things in life that they just need to pull themselves up by the belt straps or by their belt buckle, boot buckle, whatever, how the, the saying goes? Do you know why we're afraid? Why do we live life in fear? Do you really know who God is if you live a life in fear? You really don't. Now, I'm not saying you're not saved, okay? I, I know, I, I, and I can, I can reinforce it several ways in the scripture. There are plenty of people who will be saved by the skin of their teeth. There will be a lot of people who will slide into the kingdom by the grace of God alone without any affirmation of a Christian life whatsoever. There will be those who may slide in like that. But it's not just fear. And all of us that are in this room knows what I'm talking about. Has God ever told you to do something that made you uncomfortable? And what's our initial reaction as human beings when that happens? Let's go find something else to do, right? And we'll even find something that's godly, right? Because that helps to burn. Never mind that we didn't do what God wanted us to do. We went and did something godly. It should have been just as good, right? How do I know that it's going to be okay? How can I sit in a room with anybody on the planet and tell them, hey, I guarantee you it's going to be okay? How can I tell them that? It's the absolute truth. I don't know what that looks like, but it's the absolute truth. Because if I believe that my God's in control, and I truly believe that he's as big as he is, and I truly believe he's as influential as he is, then what do I have to be afraid of? What do I have to wonder 
The truth is he's only ever expected one thing of any of us who have trusted in him. Believe him. That's all he's ever asked. Believe me. There's even been, been places, and this isn't about money, folks, I'm telling you. But there, did you know that there's a promise that God makes that you can't outgive him? You give it, you give it with the right heart, and it says, shaken, pressed down, your cup will overflow. Why? Because of your goodness? No, because of his. Did you ever meet the people who looked at things from a completely opposite perspective? The ones who, no matter how dark and gloomy life may be, always are able to bring a little ray of sunshine into the picture. The ones who often are the ones who keep the family's head screwed on straight in the middle of high-stress situations. How, how do we be faithful? How do we be true? It's simple. You learn. Learn who he is. And it's not like you're looking for the end of the book because I'm telling you there isn't one. This isn't about you learning everything there is to know about God. This is about us learning everything that we can about God. And was he playing hide-and-go-seek? 66 books! 27 in the New Testament! Every one of them tell us who he is. They give us a piece of his character. They give us a piece of his integrity. They give a piece of his heart. They tell us about who he is. The key is the knowledge of grace and Jesus Christ. That's the key. Do you know why people who don't believe that the eternal security of the believer are so nervous all the time? Because they really believe that their salvation is based on their actions. And let's be honest, how many of us have any hope at all if that's true? Grace is defined God's unmerited favor. This is the only thing that makes any sense. He loves you so much that he will favor us in spite of us. Because you know how much we deserve favor. But he puts it together here in the building blocks. Building blocks here, I know. Sounds strange. Like God put something together with the intention of us using it for a purpose. Verse 5. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, in your moral excellence knowledge, in your knowledge self-control, in your self-control perseverance, in your perseverance godliness, and in your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness Love. How many of you guys can give me the biblical definition of every one of those? How many of you can tell me, based on what the Bible says, what each one of those looks like when it's put into practice? He's pushing us to learn. You know why? Because people who know God's word are very difficult to trip up. 
People who know God's word are very difficult to make afraid. People who know God's word are very difficult to pull away from the truth. This is what it's about. This is really about nothing more than good and evil. And they're both competing for the souls on this planet. And one of them's doing it in every underhanded, underlying manner that he can possibly do it. And the other one is doing it with his life. And we make choices every day that lean towards one of the two. And how does that stack up in each of our individual lives? Because I see a Jesus who left it all in the field. Literally left it on the field. If we realize just how hard it was I've said this before. Bad enough. Bad enough that he took the beating. Bad enough that they mocked him. And he had to take it. Could you imagine the second person of a three-part trinity being ripped away? What was always three in perfect unity all of a sudden became one. Or became two and one outcast. You remember what Jesus said? Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? To have the first person of the Trinity turn his back on the second person of the Trinity. What do you think that felt like? the one who was cast out and he wasn't cast out because he went and did something selfish he wasn't cast out because he was a cheater he was cast out because i was a cheater and i can't even take the time to know him by his stripes that I was healed as a result I want to know everything I can know about him because you know what he sounds like he sounds like a dude to go into battle with it's all in front of us he structured it. He provided the foundation for it. He's repeated himself over and over and over about it. And how many times have we been convicted by him and ignored it and walked away? And we seriously think there are no consequences to that? Do we know what he brings to the table? Is there anything he doesn't bring to the table? He just asked for our help. He's given us the gifts to do it. He's given us the power to do it. He's given us the information to do it. And then he just says, 
I've given you everything that you need. Now, would you go do it? You'll notice what that seven, verse seven ends with. I was curious, and the more that I thought about it, why was love always the emphasis? But in that list, it was put last. And here's the reason. If you are not always increasing in every one of the areas that he mentioned, then guess what's impossible for you to do? Love's the result of all that. He was the example to us. He's called us to be the example to others. And to be frank with you, because I kind of know, because I'm kind of human, if there is anything in your way, will you say what it is? It's you. For me, it's me. Just listen to the Lord. Be obedient to Him. I could ask no more. Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. Have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Barron. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.